I also want to put it on record that I am a chronic accent mimicker, so please note that in the wake of this podcast, I am adding that to the long list of things I need to work on. In this episode, I talk to Tara Schuster. She is a Comedy Central executive and the author of the brand new, amazing book, By Yourself, The Effin' Lilies. It's amazing. I love this episode because we talk about crying on the subway, the need to reparent ourselves, and how to rebuild. It's bloody brilliant. This is Pretty Depressed with Tara. You are the author of By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies. Yes. Uh, that is not how I originally know you. No. We've got a, we've got yeah. a whole life before that. <laughs> but while you were just talking about it, we're going to dive a little bit more into it. Yeah. But how are you feeling? Because you're kind of going around talking about the book. You said you were driving around at different targets to see the book yeah. out in the world. Does yeah. it feel like a child that you've kind of released it and totally. you're like, good luck, I believe in you. <laughs> it feels like I raised a child and now I sent it off to college and I hope that I taught it really good lessons and took care of it and now it has to make its own choices, but I'm like checking in every now and then. Mm -hmm. So yeah, last night, um, my gentleman friend and I drove around to different targets to like see it there. Because for some reason to me, that feels like I made it like it's in target. Yeah, Uh, that felt really good. Um, And then I would actually at the last target we went to the sales guy was like, you know what? I think this book would be pretty good for my girlfriend. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get it. And I was yeah. like, oh my god! And we started having a conversation about how she. Did you needs- tell him that you wrote it? Yeah, I was okay. like, I was like, I'm the author. I'll sign it. And we started like talking about his girlfriend needs a little motivation, and maybe yeah. he does too. And like we got into this like whole discussion in the um, book section of the Target. But it that's nice. that's like been the best part of everything is really connecting with people, mm. you know, even people reaching out on Instagram or telling me their story and letting me know that my story mattered to them, mm. you know, like to matter that your voice matters. That feels incredible and so much more than, you know, there's like the other things like it debuted number one in self-help and Kindle and like mm-hmm. those kinds of things that obviously are cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not kicking that out of no, bed. No. But like the real success here has been people reaching out and just saying, this is the book I would have written. Like that's such a compliment. Like, that's cool. You know, like. So you're not alone. Exactly. So much years of being alone. Well, I suppose you should probably, since people will be like, what is this book? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> what is this amazing thing they're talking about? Uh, do you want to give give the elevator pitch for sure, it? Sure. Yeah. I didn't set out to write a book ever. That wasn't the plan. Okay. I set out to save my life. I had grown up in this really neglectful household where things came to die, like all of the pets we ever had, all of the plants. Um, Iggy the iguana was a goner because nobody understood how to feed an iguana or that maybe you needed to. Um, and all that kind of um, neglect, that surf- surface level neglect, it was emotionally abusive and it was a tough place to grow up. Yeah. And so by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was just this mess wreck disaster of a person. I had chronic anxiety, chronic depression. I lived inside a headache. Like I felt like I was living in a fog. And, Mm. you know, so on a good day, you'd find me openly weeping on the subway because that means I made it through work without melting down. So, (laughs) yeah, I was not the best of times. Functioning, though, or at times? Okay. Functioning. Definitely like killing it at work, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, but it... I was really 
I wasn't living my life. My life was happening to me. And then I hit rock bottom at 25 when I drunk dialed my therapist threatening to hurt myself, which is so not a thing, not a thing a person ought to do. And um, that next morning, as I listened to her voicemails and heard the worry in her voice, I mean, she was a like perma calm European woman with a placid smile and a teacup every Mm -hmm. time I saw her. But now in these voicemails, she was desperately trying to find me. And her worry made me worry for the first time. And I basically thought, I'm exhausted in my guts. I'm not going to survive. Something has to change. But to your question earlier, I had always excused how – can I curse? You can say what oh, okay, sweet. <laughs> I'll do it first. I'll go. Now you can No, go. I'll go. Yeah, I had always excused how fucked up I was – because on the surface, things looked pretty good. I had gone to good, like a good high school and a good college, and I'd gotten scholarships and good grades, and I had my first job at Comedy Central, and I was like rising up the ranks. So I was really good at work, but really bad at life. And I also felt like I shouldn't feel this bad. Like I didn't have the worst childhood in the entire world. So I felt like a fraud for what a mess I was. Mm. But that next morning, I just decided it really doesn't matter how I should or shouldn't feel. I actually hate my life and I want a better one. Mm. How can I move forward? And so that morning I asked, okay, if I didn't really have parents, if I don't really have mentors, what if I was my own parent? What if? What would it look like to reparent myself? What, what would it look like to give myself that nurturing? And because I had always been really good at school, my first thought was like, well, let's turn it into a homework assignment. So I started. So cut from the same closet. <laughs> yeah. This is this podcast. Like, I'm like, well, I can't deal with my depression alone. I'll make it an RT yeah. fun. Yay. Right. I'll make <laughs> yeah. it a project. I'll yeah. make it something that I, I – I think that's actually a really good point to bring up is instead of it being like this big amorphous thing that's taken over my life, how can I make it manageable? Mm-hmm. So I started – Where do I excel? Small tasks. Exactly. Yeah. To-do list. I mean the Great. whole book is about building small habits, Great. Um, which I definitely want to talk about yes. in regards to depression. Mm-hmm. But um, that – so I started this Google Doc where I was just asked the questions I had, like, what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like, genuinely, which one should I be eating? Mm -hmm. And then I just attacked the fuck out of it. Like, I was like a ninja of self-love. Like, like I read every possible memoir I could as self-care because I Mm -hmm. thought, oh, these adults I admire, like Tina Fey or Cheryl Strait or Steve Martin, like they've got to have information for me. Mm -hmm. I tried on any advice I heard, even if it was woo-woo, like start a gratitude practice, which sounded disgusting Mm -hmm. to me and like something I would never want to try. And I watched my friend's parents, like I went over to their houses for dinner And over the course of five years of really like attacking this and being intentional, I found that I was like a completely different person, like happy, stable, Mm. like stable, which was a word I never thought would apply to me. And I'm I'm still like to this day, like, holy fuck, I'm stable. How? Yeah. (laughs) And I wrote a book about it and I'm still like, wow, that's magical. Yeah. Um, But that's when I decided to write the book was coming out on the other side of it and realizing I have an offering. 
Like mm. I have something that might be able to cut through and help other people. Did someone plant the seed or it developed in itself? No, I, like, I think it's it's because I had read so much memoir as self-help mm. that that was like Nora Ephron became like a mom to me. You know, like she she writes – one of my favorite books is um, I Feel Bad About My Neck. And one of the things she writes is it's the second glass of wine that's keeping you up at night. And I'm like, fuck you, mom. I don't have more than two glasses of wine. Like, like you're such a prude. Like, yeah, yeah. But I was having this relationship with books. They were really, like, mm-hmm. growing me up. And so I think that and maybe as a kid, David Sedaris had made me feel, like, a lot less alone. Like, just re- picking up his books and being like, oh, I'm specific. And he's specific. And that's not bad. Like, he's actually really funny. Um, I, I think that was sort of the the seed of the idea. But nobody – let me be very clear. Nobody came to me and asked me to write a book. Sure. Approximately zero people were like, you know what? Will you write about this? And actually no one really knew what was going on You know, my because I was so good at work. So in my career, now at this point, I'm like VP at Comedy Central and mm-hmm. I've launched Key & Peel. So – Again, like things were really good on the surface. The only people who knew about the Google Doc were like my best friends. Interesting. That's so rad. <laughs> I mean, I'm so I'm so happy yeah. to have you here for a number number of reasons. One, like the way that we know each other is yeah. I've come in and like pitched and yeah. we've been like, hey, you're cool. I know. You're cool. We like immediately were like, ooh, like I vibe off you. Like I see this. Which and all honestly, like I've done a few like around the town kind of like meetings. I remember sitting and just calling my agent straight away afterwards, and I was like. They said I can email them anytime. I like want to hang out with them. Like it was like I actually <laughs> was like, oh, it felt so full credit to you and like your professionalism, but also you're a human being first. Yeah. And I thought that was like one of the first encounters. I was like, oh, you know, for context, my agents set up a meeting. They're like, hey, some of the execs at Comedy Central want to meet you. Initiate freak out. Like, ah, like what? <laughs> how do you go into a meeting right. that feels so pressure cooker and be like a human and be fun? And it was just felt so relaxed and cool. So Good. thank you. It's so, just side note, it's so weird when I hear that it is a pressure cooker and that I'm like, for me as an exec, it is the greatest honor of my life to get to sit down with artists. Like, what is a cooler job than like, oh, I get to meet artists all day? So when I obviously I approach it as like let's have the Fun. best time we can and let me get to know you. I think I think probably what it is it's like you know if you're in comedy and you're like oh Comedy Central is a network I would at some like to be at somewhat part of. So yeah. you go okay well you've got thirty minutes to sit with people right. who. It'll either go well or it wouldn't. Right. In my case, I'm very lucky. It felt good and it went good. But yeah, yeah, I think you just immediately put your pressure on yourself of like, how can I be my best, be my funniest? Yeah. Listen. Oh, no, I get that. So that's kind of what I don't understand is the executives who like you. I just hope that you have a great experience in most meetings. Like that's what I don't understand is Mm -hmm. like. We're all, we're all humans. Like I was listening to one of your episodes where you were talking about like I hate hierarchies. Like I that. Do. Me too. Like okay. I hate when somebody like signals I'm the most important person in this room. I'm like really? Because the most important person doesn't have to fucking do that. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> That's a very New Zealand thing. I'm glad to know that you're surrounded by other New Zealanders. <laughs> yeah. Um. So take me back a little yeah. bit to 
kind of pre this epiphany. Yeah. What was, so you were crying, maybe crying on the subway. Were you yeah. drinking? Like what kind of like. Yeah. So some of us can relate. And oh go, my God. Okay. So there is a si- other side to it. Can you paint this Absolutely. side of the coin for me? Yeah. So. And some people may also be like, oh, my parents were fine. And it's not until some context clues that you go, oh, here's some areas that it wasn't fine. Yeah. And, and I, and that's a huge message of the book is like, even our parents cannot do everything. Yes. Even the best parent in the entire world who nurtured the shit out of you cannot do everything. And I'm saying regardless of what – you don't have to have had a traumatic childhood like mine. Mm-hmm. We need to take a look at ourselves and realize we can grow ourselves up into the people we want to be no matter where we are in our life and that it is a joyful process. Mm-hmm. So I – that – tangenty I don't know why I just said that no that makes sense because I think people will go oh well I had good parents right and like so this won't apply to me it's like we right. could have had good pa- I had a very supportive mother yeah and it's like being her being so supportive is almost a hindrance that I now feel like this right. pressure of like <laughs> so we all oh, so it's yeah we all have our people shit. raising imperfect exactly people. Yeah. and so for me how it really manifested is I was crying all the time Mm-hmm. inexplicable sadness, a lot of weeping, which I – until I really went through depression, weeping was just a thing in like the Odyssey or like a like a Greek tragedy. They're talking sure. about like weeping and gnashing of teeth. But like sorrow. I was living in sorrow and then the sorrow was met with angst and then I'd feel like an anxiety not above my left boob and I would spend all day like kneading at it, trying to like get it to go away. Like Mm. it was very physical for me. Mm. And so then I'd go home and smoke a fuck ton of weed because that seemed like a really good idea. And weed became my way to numb out of my consciousness, numb out of my reality and float away and also laugh at things that were genuinely not funny. (laughs) Sure. Laugh at my childhood, laugh at um, my mom would leave me these very like, I don't have a relationship with her now and I barely did then, but she would leave me like very harassing voicemails like, you're a psychotic liar and you're scum like your dad and call me if you want to get a manicure. Like these really, yeah, like very like confusing. Yep angry, disordered messages and emails. And and so I'd get one of those and I'd just smoke and then laugh myself silly being like, what, like, haha, like what not a mom thing to do. Right. So I was like deflecting everything. And so that's sort of the, the state that I was in. It was like wine or weed or dudes. Like, why doesn't he like me? I want people to, like men need to like me. And if they don't like me, then I'm not valuable. It basically... I was tethering my worth to what other people thought about me mm-hmm. and I was taking zero time to think about what do I think about myself because I was numbing out of of the ability to even know what I thought about myself. Yeah, that's pretty relatable. I put a lot of value on like employment and yeah, yeah people's opinions of me, I think, as well. Yeah. Or men would yeah, medicated in a similar not with wine, but yeah, definitely with relationship or attention was yeah. probably more what it was. We all have our yeah. crutches, you know, and I write a lot about the first step is identifying a crutch. Mm. Just even to there are so many people who go through their lives on autopilot and they never even know 
oh, I was using reality TV as a way to numb out for four hours every night of my life. Like I did not want to be present for the life I was leading. So I watched a 90 day fiance, you know, and 90 day fiance is not bad in and of itself. Like it's great to have little Mm -hmm. escapes, but it's more like, what is the crutch you're using to tune out of your existence? Mm. Because I think a lot of people are doing it. Oh, yeah. We're all guilty of it. 100%. Yeah. Um, Just you touched on a little bit on the depression side of it. Did you, were you aware that you were depressed at that point? Yes. Okay. So I even hit rock bottom under the supervision of a therapist and a psychiatrist. Like I was fucking medicated for that. Um, And the first time I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, that actually was a huge relief to me because at least I had- How old are you? I think I was like 18. Okay. Um, And they said, you know, you've probably, this has actually probably been true for you since you were 12 Mm -hmm. because I could remember as a little girl days where I just couldn't get out of bed. I like physically could not bring myself out of bed in in the summers. I've actually never talked to anyone about this, but during like it'd be summer, summer break, and I just couldn't, and there's nobody like taking care of me. I'm just like at home Mm -hmm. and I couldn't lift my body out of bed. Like it felt like a ton of bricks was like pushing me down. And so when I was finally talking to a therapist about all this, they're like, Oh yeah, like you were. <laughs> that's not normal. That's an easy one for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we got that. You were depressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say no more. Say no yeah, more. Yeah. I was diagnosed, but my brand of mm-hmm. depression, as I like to say it, mm-hmm. is negative self-talk. Yeah. So whilst it's always been, whilst it's also been a great drive in my mm-hmm. life, like it makes me, um, like achieve more, and right. I feel like I can accomplish more. Right. Yeah. My I guess I didn't identify the fact because I was like, oh, I can get out of bed. How could I possibly be depressed? So not understanding my ignorance about mental health of like, oh, it comes in all shapes and sizes. And it's also that should thing. Like I should be fine. Like I am, I'm achieving, I'm doing all this. Like I should be fine, but really I'm not, you know, and, and needing to deal with what's real. And did you, when you kind of were diagnosed, you said that it was a relief? Yeah, it was a huge relief. Okay, because you're like, oh. Because I was like, fuck, okay, cool, like a label, like to the Was there any other points apart from can't get out of bed? Because one of the things that I thought was interesting was um, uh, not being able to make decisions. Oh, interesting, yeah. It was one of the, like, I don't know if you did a test. So basically I had, like, all these lists and you write sometimes, always, never, and, like, one of them was – you know, your appetite or perhaps right. it's like your decision-making process. And I was like, oh, for someone who's usually quite articulate and could be articulate about other right. things, I couldn't make a decision about that's anything. So interesting. They're like, yeah, that's depression. Part, can be part can, of the seasonal. Can be yeah. one of the things. Yeah. Mine was, I think that was they were looking back and they were like, oh, well, when how long have you been dealing with this? Probably yeah. a long time. But it was more that I was chronically dependent on weed desperately trying to escape my life. I mean, I've had some, um, like a lot of hopelessness, like things are never going to change. I can't get out of this doom spiral. I'm just going to repeat my parents' lives. I don't want to be here. And that's what led to the 20, you know, when I was 25 threatening to hurt myself was I didn't think there was a way forward. I didn't think there was a way I could get out. I didn't think my life could ever be any different. And I think that's also part of why I was so driven to write this book is because 
there is a way that your life can be better and you can get out of these things. You're, you have to do the work though. And I think the work feels really scary because I was relieved to have the diagnosis, but I was terrified of taking responsibility for it. Like, oh, I need to take – like I'm going to have – You physically didn't think that you'd be able to or you yeah. just didn't want to open thought, the boxes? I thought it would be fucking terrifying. I thought it would be too much work. I thought there's n- no way anything's ever going to get any better. Um, and and even it's just – it felt overwhelming to be in control of my life, which I think some people – like for me, I have to think of myself – as a little in control. Like what I'm in control of is my reactions to things. Like I'm not in control of if I have a job or not or, you know, my he- – like th- those kinds of things. Sure, sure, sure. Acts of God. Not mm-hmm. in control of those. But how I react to something. Am I using meditation as a way to get through my anxiety? Am I eating well? Am I taking – am I going to bed early? Like these things that actually are pretty like low-hanging fruit of good mental health hygiene. Mm-hmm. Those things – Oh, low – good mental health hygiene. That's a good <laughs> little been, zinger. I like I've that. I've never even said that before. Well, there you go. You I got to write, write that down. down. Yeah. Spot the writer in the room. Yeah. That's interesting because it's like I feel like if I was at my – if I look back to my lowest point um, – all those things that seem so obvious, I didn't want to do. Yeah. So it's oh, like, you yeah. You don't want to do well, it. I so didn't want to like- do it, and it seemed like too much work. I mean, the yeah. number one biggest thing for me was exercise. Okay. So I had never used my human body to sweat, not one time in my life. In fact, the only C that I got in high school was in a class called Cardio Fitness, where on my report card they wrote, Tara hides behind the treadmill and takes excessive water breaks because she doesn't want to work out. I was like, you're right, lady. I don't want to work out. Um, I think I was like very embarrassed because I was out of shape. Mm. And so it was like, oh, really? You want me like fucking huffing on this thing? And I know I'm going to get sweaty. Like, I don't want to embarrass myself. And so when I was on this reparenting journey and doing the Google Doc, I went to my calmest friend, Julia, who just – she just seemed like she had her shit together. Sure. And at this time, I'm just asking anybody for advice. And I, I said, you know, like, you don't look like you want to jump out of a window. Like, I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, how? How? How'd you do it? Yeah. And she said, you know, I obviously feel anxious sometimes and things don't go my way. But usually I just go for a run if I'm in a bad mood. And I was like, fuck you, Julia, you fucking bitch. Yeah. What do What do you, you mean? You, why yeah. did you say that to yeah. me? Yeah. You run like how dare you? Like my the one thing I possibly could not did, do exactly or want to do. Yeah. And I, well, I was like, yeah. my anxiety is so deep. My depression and my issues are so huge. Like a fucking run mm-hmm. is not going to benefit me. And so I gave her all these reasons why I couldn't. My boobs are going to hurt. I have, quote unquote, bad ankles. Sure. Like I gave her all these excuses. Shin splints are a thing. Yeah, yeah. shin splints happen to people. Yeah. I don't know if they'd happen to me. They'd certainly happen to people. And to each one of my like paper thin excuses, Julia was just like, we're going to go get you a sports bra. We're going to get you sneakers. Mm. You live next to Damn, the Hudson she River. Double down on you. Yeah, she really took me Double to task. Okay. Fucking Julia. Bitch. <laughs> um, so because of that, I, I was like, okay, Julia's a bitch. Got to prove her wrong. Got to prove nice. this won't work. 
because I, yeah, I had yeah. a real chip on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So to spite her, I started running. And my the way I started was run from like one stop sign to the next stop sign. Uh, like run from my apartment. I was living in New York to um, the Hudson River, like to the pier. Okay, walk. Like running was too much. But I made like these little teeny concrete mm. goals until little by little I started blasting through my anxiety like the running was a moving meditation and I wasn't doing very much like this wasn't like I was in fucking athlete shape this just meant that I sweat 10 minutes a day Mm -hmm. and honestly if anyone's suffering from anxiety working out or depression Mm -hmm. they don't tell you this enough and there should be a fucking class in high school where they're like here's how to use your human body to your benefit mm-hmm. the endorphins the sweat the knowing that your body can do something the building up of little achievements like it was huge yeah it was better than any medication i've ever been on was just using my body and so you know, for me, that really helped with anxiety and depression with both of them and is one of like the number one tools I talk about the book is find whatever thing you kind of like and stick to it. Mm. Like, you know, is there a YouTube video of um, like working out that you like? Is there a class you can go to with friends and suffer in their company? Mm-hmm. Um, like f- it's finding these solutions, like getting back to what we were talking about. I didn't want to find the solutions because they seemed too hard. But once I started doing it, I realized, oh, it's actually joyful. Like this other side of it is way better than the depressing side where I didn't want to do anything. Mm. But but I do understand that it it feels really overwhelming when you're on the crying in the subway side of things because you're like, fuck you. I'm not running. Like what the fuck are you talking about? No one understands me. I'm the only one in this situation. I'm I'm completely alone. Yeah. But the antidote to depression a lot of times is belonging. And so oh, – yeah, isn't, it, isn't it funny? It's like that everyone isolates or does yes. all these things. It's like those are the worst things Liter- you can do. But it's like that's what's pulling you and that's the voice that's louder. And exactly. It's like, ugh. Hmm. But you, yeah, you have to learn how to hear that voice and say, thank you so much for your input. But we are currently not taking your advice. Where's Julia. Julia. Everyone needs a Julia in ev- life. Everyone yeah. does need a, a friend that they yeah. can reach their hand out to and say, hey, I have this with my friends in a really real way is they know that I suffer from depression. And so every once in a while I'll say, I, can I – hey, this is what I'm going through. I need your hand to bring me back to sunlight. And they mm. – like that's a text we have. And they'll like call me and remind because sometimes I get a little lost of like who I am when I'm really depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, what's my identity? What did I even like? What, like, that's how I get. That's how I get too. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's and it's, it's terrifying. It's ter- but when you're like, you feel like your value is your identity. And yeah, you're like, I don't. Know I don't if even, I identify with my identity. You're like, I don't even the, know who I am. So yeah. I think identifying a friend for me, mm-hmm. it's my friends Julia or Lauren who I can literally, like, they know exactly what to do when I'm in that state. And what is that? They, what is it that you need in that state? I need to spend time with them. I need okay. them to hold my hand. I need them to remind me of who I am and what my values are. I need them to check in on me and say, like, how was today? And not judge me if I'm like, today was a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. They just say, like, I hear that. I'm I'm sorry. I'm thinking of you. You are 
and then they'll give me like a list of who I am. And I'm really lucky, you know, but I think people, that is a tool. Like, it's not Mm. like an accident. Like I realized, oh shit, I can't handle my depression alone. It's not possible. But if I have a couple people in my life who will carry some of the water with me, Mm -hmm. who will take on a little bit and can be there for me oh my God, I can get out of something so much quicker now. Like Mm. the floor of my emotions is so much higher now because I know who to go to. Stay tuned. We've got more Pretty Depressed after this. Do you love a challenge? Do you love positive validation and fun? Well, then download Best Fiends. In Best Fiends, you collect tons of cute characters and solve thousands of puzzles. And one of the things I love most about it is that you can play offline. It's honestly one of my pet peeves about traveling is paying loads for data. So the fact that I can play my very favorite mobile game offline is amazing. So join the community of millions who are already playing Best Fiends. It's so fun, addicting, and challenging. Best Fiends. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Do you do you still medicate for anxiety and depression? No. At okay. this point, I don't. Now I have enough like my Stuff. rituals. Yeah. yeah. Is it a constant underbelly or do you find that it's something that just like will rear its head unexpectedly It'll, in different yeah. ways? Because I honestly my ignorance about depression. I thought in doing this, talking about it, shine a light on the darkness, no darkness, whoop, whoop, bang, there we go, we fixed it, tick. And then someone's like, oh, no, it'll no. find it. <laughs> like, no. oh, no, it's it's a lifer. Yeah, with it's you a- for life. But, like, the goal now, I'm like, oh, okay, now I've got to find, use it as a context clue of, like, when those voices cut, like, yeah. what, you know, and it might morph into different things totally. and trying to find relationship with it, which is not ideal. Not the answer I wanted, but I know. yeah, trying to learn that. Like, how does it show up? Yeah, so show up. depression is my frenemy within. You mm-hmm. know, it is all, it's like this bitch who I met in middle school and I keep inviting her to my parties and my friends are like, oh, she sucks. Like, why are you friends with her? I'm like, well, we have so much history. If I met her today, we wouldn't be friends, but you know how it is. Like, mm-hmm. that's what depression is to me. Somebody I met a long time ago that I'm never going to be able to kick out of my life, but I have to learn how to deal with. Mm. And so in the book, I write about a lot of the very small practical rituals I built because I don't think it's helpful to like say, go to Bali or like, you know, change your whole life in one step or, or even to say, be happy, find your bliss. Those things make me want to throw up. Mm-hmm. But go for a run, um, make your bed, (laughs) like little teeny things that work. That's Mm. how I deal with my depression. And I also don't blame myself anymore when I feel depressed. I don't throw – I don't stab myself in the heart when I already feel bad because the blame and the resistance I've found are actually much worse than the actual depression because if I can say, oh, depression, I'm feeling you right now. Oh, you're present with me? I can remove myself from the depression. Like I can kind of like see it at an arm's length Mm. as opposed to diving deep in. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, it's hard to do, but with practice, it gets easier. Yeah, I think because I'm still navigating, it's like 
I mean, there are plenty of context clues that it's been around forever. Yeah. But only now I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, I used to end up in hospital every year because I would have burnt the candle at both ends. And, like, I get a cold that turns into pneumonia or, like, and it's because right. I'm running myself thin because I'm right. like, if you're not achieving, you're not valuable and all these other kind of right. things. It's like, oh, it's the anxiety and the depression have been around the whole time. Right. I just didn't know. And now labeling it, I'm going oh, I'm trying to retrain my brain of thought processes. This is not a truth or whatever. And it's right. like I'm at the exhausting stage of right. this new journey. Right. But that's refreshing to know like, oh, it comes a point where you go, oh, I feel you. Go fuck yourself. Or welcome, but you don't get a microphone today. Yeah. You just sit quietly in the corner. Yeah. And I mean, it really, that is really where it is for me now is that it, depression and anxiety are always going to be with me. I have no, that's not something I can control. What I can control is building up my defenses to react to it in a different way, which is not to resist it. Like I really like I'm harping on not, on not resisting yeah. because I think that's where people get in real trouble is they're like, I shouldn't feel this well, way. Should. That's how I – yeah, totally. That's you where know? I'm at. Like, oh, I've had – like look at the life I live and done. I'm so lucky. And it's like, yes, you are so lucky to – Two things can be true at the same time. You can be so lucky that you have a roof over your head, food in the refrigerator, money in the bank, good relationships, and you can feel like shit and that your your life isn't worth living and that you just want to crawl under the covers. And the two – one does not invalidate the other. I think the place people get tripped up is the difference between um, the truth and what you believe. Because we'll believe so much fucked up shit about ourselves. Like, um, I'm valueless because I didn't get that promotion. Because this dude didn't text me back, I'm not worthy and nobody Mm -hmm. wants me. That's not the truth. That's just what you're believing in that moment. And so all these things, it's like a process of getting better at like um, dissecting the difference. Like, I'm believing a bunch of garbage about myself right now. That is true, that I'm believing it. Yes. But the beliefs aren't true. Mm. So something that you're highlighting on, and I need to hear this for myself. We've spoken to a few people who have, like, dealt with addiction. Mm. And um, I'm almost seeing this parallel with it's, like, giving up on, com- like, trying to fight your depression. Yes. Sounds, sounds a little like, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say drawing parallels because I realize they're two very different worlds. Yeah. But, and the way that we're discussing it feels like a battle with alcohol. It's, like, something that you don't want to listen to the depression, but... It's calling you in or you're feeling a pull from it. Yeah. Have you found like since you had this like we'll call it like the the bottom of the drunk mm-hmm. dialing the therapist, mm-hmm. have you relapsed on your depression? Oh, yes. Fucking, okay. Can oh, you talk yes. to that? Almost, oh, how it, about last year? Okay. Because huh? it sounds like it's like this. Oh, once you start climbing the mountain, no. you're climbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're I off. I, yeah. I want to like the first blanket statement I'd make is – I am so much better off having done the work and nothing has been quite as bad as it was then. Okay. Um, so it just as a doing the work is really valuable and gives you the tools for how to get out of it better. Mm-hmm. But last year I had just finished the manuscript of the book. I was like, I'm going to fucking Argentina for two weeks alone. Like I'm in Argentina. I'm living the life. Hell Yes. Um, I'm in, then I go to the Brazilian rainforest. I'm at Iguazu Falls alone, taking a run over the catwalks. My own company's great. Yeah. I've done so much work. Uh, Winning. 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 I get to my hotel room of the absurdly expensive hotel that, guess what? 
I made the money to stay here. Yay. And I get a text message from my roommate in L.A. that says, we have been robbed. All of your jewelry and everything in your room is gone. I don't know anything and I'm waiting for the police. Rug pulled out from under me. I'm completely disoriented. It occurs to me for the first time that I am alone in Brazil and do not speak the language, that I know nobody, that I'm isolated, and I can't do anything. Like, I'm far from home. I can't be a part of this. And that moment, it sunk me into one of the worst depressions of my life because for me, growing up in this neglectful household where it was my parents, the only way that they could show love was giving me material objects. So even though I lived in chaos where things were constantly dying and accusations like the housekeeper stole it or your mom is psychotic, like this was this really chaos environment, I managed to hold on to all the trinkets that had ever been given to me. I had the turquoise heart necklace my mom gave me for Valentine's Day. So even though I never spoke to her, I knew at one point she loved me. I had the little silver charm bracelet my dad gave me when I was 12 and sick to remind me that he, though he wasn't at home, he did care. And then somebody walked in my closet, picked up all my memories, and walked away. And I, I felt like I lost my identity. I felt so untethered. Well, so I'm so sorry. Well, thank you. I, um, I felt it really did put me in one of the worst places of my life. And I remember I came back to LA. My sister picked me up from the airport. We went back to my apartment. Place was fucking trashed. That's like also the worst part about robbers I'll say is like, hey man, maybe don't destroy everything. Like this already sucks. Like maybe don't make it a crime scene. I mean, you already made it a crime scene, but maybe don't just throw shit everywhere. Yeah. And have some bloody class. Have some class, (laughs) robbers. Christ. And so my best friend, Lauren, the one who will hold my hand and bring me back to the sun, her family had a guest house at their house and they said, why don't you just come stay here? Because the robbers had come in through the window next to where my head was lying and I was like, well, I'm never sleeping here again. That's that's, not an option. And I can just remember I'm in this guest house. Oh, sirens in the background. We're not even adding that in. This works perfectly. they have this beautiful house, guest house. I'm completely safe. I never got hurt. My roommate didn't get hurt. I've got a place to go to be warm. Mm-hmm. I was lying on the ground sobbing because I couldn't – I felt like when they took all my things, they had also taken my identity and the people who loved me and taken all the memories. And so to get myself out of that, at first I just wallowed. For like mm-hmm. one month, I just wallowed, cried, spent a lot of time with this family's dog. I don't even like dogs, uh, but I was like, you're a friend. Yeah, totally. I was miserable. I told my friends I was miserable. I said, please call me. Please check in. I am not well. Um, so there was one month of that. And then I started to, in my journal, write, what can I do? I'm a huge journaler. It mm-hmm. gives me a lot more self-awareness. Um And I realized what if – one of the things I feel so bad about is that all all this jewelry, they were like little amulets and they gave me so much power and I feel bad that I didn't protect them. So what if I wrote thank you notes to each 
each thing I lost to think it's – then I get mm. to have it back for a second, think it, and release it. And so for the next month, I wrote – you think of that yourself or was that – Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm a – I – for – the number one thing I'm the most grateful for is I'm a survivor mm. and I'm good at – it might take me a month – it might take me a year. It might take me 25 years, but a solution will appear to me. Mm. And so through writing the thank you cards, I was able to marry gratitude to sorrow. I was able to say like, I'm so fucking sad and I just want my shit back. But I'm also grateful I ever got to have those things. I'm grateful for the memories. They're not – the memories actually aren't gone. My mom did love me. She was just limited in how she could show it. And I will get out of this. Not to mention it gave me so much more empathy for people who lose things suddenly. And yeah. and so my thing about that experience and about depression is you can look at it as, oh, no, this thing I have to deal with the rest of my life. Or you can say – I have to deal with it the rest of my life. What can I gain from it? How can this be my superpower? Because mm. like question for you, what amazing great thing in your life or lesson that you learned was just easy peasy lemon squeezy and it took no work and it just fell in your lap? Like how many of those things are there? None. Yeah. None. Yeah. But when we wrestle with these darker things and we say, no, I'm going to face you and I'm going to – I am going to come out of this alive – that's when we tap into our superpower and it's learning to channel that and not resist it. Because if I had resisted the depression, I shouldn't feel this bad. I didn't get hurt. It's just jewelry. Who cares? I'm being a baby. I would have gained nothing. Mm -hmm. I only would have lost. So I say you can't resist the depression. You can move through it. And I do think there is something to – I have some friends in AA and I've been to some Al-Anon meetings myself – do think there is something to giving up uh, giving up like this is real because all you're saying is this is real i can't control that it exists so i need to figure out ways to deal with my reactions to it mm. what does your brain look like <laughs> i have no idea i hope it's full of rubies and emeralds and gems i love a gem i'm yeah. gonna say it i love rhinestones i love sparkle i love glitter i hope there are a fuck ton of bows up there that's what I think. And are you sitting in it? If it was a scene, are you sitting in it or are you just looking at it? I'm seeing a... like a collage situation. Like, ooh. A, ooh, like what were they? Like a diorama of a brain, like a 3D. And it's got like all kinds of like gemstones and big bows on it. And cool. Yeah. That's, and maybe, and like a little glass of champagne is next to it. That's what I'm saying. I like it. That sounds I, that sounds like a fun time. What a beautiful brain. That sounds like that sounds good. How do, how would you say that you medicate now? If it's mm. I'm assuming oh, weed is a no. Oh, I will not touch weed. You cannot get me to fuck with weed. I'm as my personality in high school was stoner girl who's so good at school. Like it was like this. Oh, you were the parent. It doesn't was make the, any sense. Like, how can she get good grades? You could She's be on stoned. a midman commercial today, though. That's well, I, and I, I have. I'm probably like the most anti weed person, which good. is so sure. weird to be in LA these days and be like, have. It's controversial to say like I don't think, I don't think it's great when we are medicating out of our lives with anything, alcohol, weed, cookies, okay. you name it. I don't think it's great to have a crutch. Um, for me, weed 
I became dependent on weed. And so Mm -hmm. now I just cannot fuck with weed at all. Mm -hmm. I think I probably medicate now with work. Like there's always more work to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is something I'm trying to work on is like, when is enough enough? Right? Like, Do you have an answer for that? Well, sort of. So for the book, for example, like I had to be – people were warning me. I'm a really good listener. So people warned, oh, my God, you're going to be looking at your Amazon rankings every day and you're going to go crazy about the reviews. And people were just – other authors were like telling me all the ways I was going to go crazy. So I was like, oh, I hear you. Let's not do that. So Mm. I don't read any of the reviews. I don't go on my Amazon page. I don't check my rankings. I made a list of rules of things I would not do around the book. And then in my home office, I wrote down what are the three measures of success? Like what does success look like for me on this project? And it was sell a book, write a book, make other people feel less lonely. And if those three things could happen – You can tick it off. Then then book is success as opposed to New York Times bestseller list, get on this show, like blah. Like I made it really clear to myself what success looked like. And so – I sold a book, I wrote a book, and the beautiful part of people reaching out to me now to say how much it affected them, I have that. So really anything else is icing, mm. but I think people don't do that enough. Like t- like we spin and we want more and more and more. Like I-, I need to get to the end of the race. What race are you running? Like that's what one should ask themselves at the beginning of any project is what is the race? What would winning look like? Because if you can't decide, the finish line just keeps getting further and further away. Um, and I think it's like a mm. a good hack too because as I've become more clear on what success looks like for me, as I've made it more concrete, I've noticed that I can usually get other things. Like other cool opportunities will present themselves because I'm not running myself ragged, mm. trying – this is interesting because you use the race analogy. I've actually used it as a way to explain my exhaustion with what mm. I'm doing as a career. Like there is a finish line. It's the show going to series. So mm-hmm. like I've done the race. I've booked the mm-hmm. pilot. We shot the pilot. It was great. Mm-hmm. Felt like we'd crossed over the finish mm-hmm. line. And someone was like, oh, no, the finish line was actually 10 meters ahead of this, and you didn't get it, so now you've got to go back to the beginning of this race. So then, like, there's an exhaustion that comes with that. So, like, I totally understand that's a bad way to be looking at something, but as someone who is goal-orientated and, like, you're part of a project that does have a bigger goal, it is quite hard to, like, not look at it as a race, if that makes sense. I think, or if you change what the race is, you know, so like. Yeah, so I probably need to rewrite it and go like, what is the finish line for me? Exactly, because I I don't think it's wrong. I I think like um, metaphors like that are really helpful of like Mm -hmm. what is like a race or whatever, like thinking about how you want, like how you can think about something big and amorphous. But I think it's getting really honest about what would feel good for you. Like, obviously, I'd feel fucking fantastic if this was a number one New York Times bestseller. I'd be jumping off the walls. Okay, known. Mm -hmm. Push it to the side. What really felt good to me was that 
I wrote to the best of my ability. I gave it everything I had. It built pride in me. And that is a far more long-lasting feeling than the momentary win of, and made this list. You know, like, I try to get specific about what, it's like the difference between junk food and you just ate an amazing macrobiotic bowl of, like, kimchi in it and it was, it felt good in your gut. Like, I try to resist the junk food of um, what Life. I think yeah. this win, this statusy thing. Like when I feel myself getting into status land, ego, yeah, ego land. That's <clears throat> when I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Like this won't feel good later. There's no way it will. I know this because I've been alive 34 years, and it hasn't worked for 34 years. So it's not going to work now. Can I dial it back? What would feel good? What would make me feel wholehearted and like I did a good job and like I was enough? You know, and I um I even go as far as to write down like on my wallet and my home office where my self-esteem comes from. Like I've decided. Where does it come from? So it comes from three things. It comes from writing, which just means that I show up and write. Doesn't nothing else has to happen comes from exercise, which means every day I make myself sweat a little. It doesn't have to be like an hour with Tracy Anderson. It could be 10 minutes in my on a treadmill. And the third thing is being a good friend, being thoughtful, showing up, letting my friends know how I feel about them. Um, and those three things done regularly, that's my identity, not executive, author. Those things are cool. I'm, I like them. Please don't take them from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you did, I'd be, be okay. okay. You know, like I'd be fine. And mm. I think that's where we have to get really honest is like you – nobody can destroy me. Like to get back to your question about relapsing, like yes, I do fall off the wagon into depression anxiety, but I can never go back to that completely unstable place because it's not possible anymore. I know, you know who I am. Much. I know yeah. too much. I know who I am. I'm self-aware mm-hmm. enough. It's it's just not possible. Um, when did you figure out that you were funny? <laughs> am I funny? You I, are. <laughs> well, yes. I, not I, only that, you see funny in others, but you know, it's yeah. It's this weird thing. It's like, oh, you had such a traumatic childhood. Like, I think my funny. I first found it and was like trying to diffuse situations, yeah. and it's, it's like it's, a distraction or yeah, whatever deflection. it was. Yeah, I mean, it's I had to learn how to laugh, otherwise I would cry. You know, it's so cliche, but it's so true. So, in you know, I was writing little plays in middle school, in high school. I was voted most likely to be on SNL, and then I immediately stopped performing because I was too terrified that I would. Um, go crazy and never make it and all those things. So I've definitely channeled my creativity into writing, which I always loved to do. Mm. Um, but I think I have like a reaction because I'm in my world, the, the comedians I work with are genuinely funny. That is their fucking job. Um, I think I'm funny in writing. I think mm-hmm. – and I hope that the book people laugh with it. And they can laugh at me if they want to. Like, whatever. A laugh's a laugh. Uh, I'll take yeah, what take I can get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, However you want. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason I thought it'd be really good in this kind of book is because it's disarming. Like, you can take in a message that's a little harder if you're laughing about it than if somebody's like, 
preaching at you from on high. The f- new thing I'm saying about the book is like, I'm on low. Like, I'm not like coming to Entry you. Entry level yeah. self-help. You yeah. may accidentally learn something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I am on low. I am on the fucking floor with you. Here's mm-hmm. some shit I did that I know works because I know how I am now compared to how I was. Mm-hmm. And I just want to share it. And you don't have to do this exact thing. And I hope, you know, the book is also a memoir. So I hope at a minimum you are entertained <laughs> by the stories. Yeah. And at a maximum, I hope that there are tools that you can take that are not so cheesy you throw up in your mouth, that are not expensive. Nothing – the only thing in the book where you have to spend any money is the title of the book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, comes from the fact that on a weekly basis, I would stand in the Trader Joe's flower section debating whether or not I was worth $7 lilies. Was I worth these lilies or were they just going to fucking die and I didn't deserve it and I didn't deserve nice things? So I'd leave the lilies, go search for my budget, microwavable Indian dinners, think about the lilies, imagine them like opening up and making my studio apartment like smell so good and be so elegant race to the lilies, grab them from their weird bucket of water, race for the checkout line, but it's Trader Joe's so you could like wait a lifetime to check out, freak myself out, ditch the lilies between kale and pita chips and leave. And I did that so many times. I watched myself say I'm not worth $7 lilies that on this process one day I was just like, fuck this yeah like genuinely fuck this why am i so upset and concerned and why am i putting all of my value on like these lilies like i can afford seven dollar lilies they're not gonna make me poor they're gonna make me stronger because there's something i do to honor myself and to say i take care of myself so the thing the only place where money really comes up in the book is find the small delightful basic that is a luxury to you Because I think Mm. we're in this self-care moment where people are hawking trips to Tulum and uh, 24-karat gold face mask that will change your life. And I'm saying, can you luxuriate in the basics? Can you luxuriate? You know, I grew up with, you know, none of my underwear fit. It was all like four sizes too big and like 12 years old. Like – Or, like, my tights were always, like, falling down in the crotch. Like, all these, like, little teeny things. Mm -hmm. Now I luxuriate in a a drawer full of perfect socks. I will never be embarrassed at the TSA line because I know my socks are on fucking point. Those those are the self-care luxuries. And those you get to have every day. Yeah. As opposed to... I went to Tibet and I d- like I got a shitty weird massage. That yeah, was uncomfortable. They yeah. just left me alone with my thoughts. Yeah, what a nightmare! Uh, yeah. I was spinning and I wish I had a clamp yeah, on me. Yeah. Like you know, so yeah. I hope that people see like self care is not about um, flossing and spending tons of money and even treat yourself as a phrase sort of makes me shudder because I'm like, yeah, but like what I'm talking about is. What are your emotional wounds, like Mm -hmm. an honest accounting of where you're hurt? How can you approach those? Like what work can you do to heal yourself? And then how do you nurture yourself? And for me, the nurturing comes from these very small, basic luxuries because we're so lucky. Like I'm lucky Mm -hmm. I can have socks without holes. I'm lucky that I can – I love like really nice bras. That's – definitely a thing for me like I'm that's a lucky thing 
it's also a basic to like mm-hmm. my s- looking good and feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honor those things. I really, I honor the, um, the lilies and, and the small things that bring me joy. I love that. Um, very sadly, my time with you is up because I feel like I could sit here forever, forever, forever and ever. Um, I just wanted to wrap up by, um, we're going to compliment each other, Ooh. which sounds, um, throw up in the mouthy that I've announced it. That that's what we're going to do. <laughs> but, um, I think it's important for me to compliment you on this journey as an outsider, someone who's knowing you in a professional capacity, someone who saw on Instagram that you did get robbed and just go like, man, I am standing and it hurts my heart, like reading a little bit about how you grew up because no one deserves that kind of environment, but just how fucking cool it is to have you in my life and that everyone gets to get a little taste of you of how you've turned something around and that your ultimate goal is just to help other people. Like, what a fucking rock star. And mm. thank you. And I know that everyone's going to love it. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That that okay. that landed on my heart like a cashmere blanket. Oh, so good. thank you. Yes. I feel wrapped up. Good. I'm going to compliment that you are such an open, kind, bright, shining light. And from the moment I met you, you brought in such warmth and authenticity like you were there you were present in that room and even being here with you now like you're listening and you're present and so many people absolutely are not and I think in doing this podcast you're giving people tools and hope and being vulnerable yourself in a profession where you're already have to be vulnerable like how fucking brave and cool are you that you're saying like I'm gonna be out here I'm going to actually live my life and I'm actually going to do the work. You're fucking badass. You're brave. You're, you are a ninja of self-love. I'm going to give you that. I like that. I'll take it. Um, Thank you for being here. I love you. I love you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pretty Depressed. A huge thanks to our executive producer, Kevin Connolly, and our amazing crew, Raul, Kevin, and Narod. And of course, our sponsor, Best Fiends. Make sure you subscribe and give us a good rating so we can keep bringing you more epic chats in the future. And if you're on the gram, give us a follow at Pretty Depressed Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.